face the pain. We're back for your ear holes. It's the State of Combat podcast with Brian Campbell on CBS Sports. And we are talking mixed martial arts this day. Coming at you, taking you down, sinking in that choke. And uh, I don't know, putting you to sleep. No, no, waking you up with another dose of that performance enhancing audio. The Brian Campbell, certainly the voice that you hear. They just woke me up from a nap. I am ready. I'm fired up. I'm getting caffeinated. I back. Trust me. I back. The question is, what am I back from? We'll get into that in a second. Zumba class. Is that, is that what men do? I don't know. I don't know. We'll get into that in a second. Let me welcome in, of course, my co-host for this loaded show in which we look back. At UFC St. Petersburg and Rushka over the weekend. And look ahead to a decent weekend of mixed martial arts with the combination of Bellator 220 and the UFC Fort Lauderdale card. Speaking of Fort Lauderdale area's own, the King of Boca is back. Yes. Mm, mm, mm. My co-host is six foot five, and one day I will meet him inside that sparring ring. Three rounds of hell and fury, 16-ounce gloves and headgear, brother. All or nothing, his name is Brandon Wise. This guy is getting ready for a sparring match by going to Zumba class now. Instead of going to, you know, like a local boxing gym or just any gym, for that matter, where you can lift some weights, maybe do some cardio. No, let's go to Zumba class, buddy. That sounds like you're having a great start to your day. What, what are you trying to say? Folks, that's not the way men do it. Is that what you're trying to say? You want me to bring in Dwyer from the boxing show? Is that what you're trying to say right here? It's, what it sounds like is that your plan is going to be to dance around me and try to not get hit as much as you can. Well, there was dancing involved today. All right. So let, we'll get to that in a second. Also, on the ones and twos producing this show, Mikey Mile back with us. Well-bearded fellow. How is it going, Mike? What's happening, bro? Oh, it is great. Every time you guys talk about this fight... I get more and more excited. I am so ready to ref this matchup. Well, this matchup has had a lot. It's been some twists and turns because Wise is, is doing himself a disservice, Mike. He's getting in too good a shape. Every time I talk to him, it's like, oh, guess what? I was hitting the bag today. Guess what? I was taking, uh, you know, jujitsu class. I was doing something. I've been doing nothing but traveling and eating. So today, change that. Today was the start of something new after a lot of Easter candy in my diet yesterday. <laughs> I, I, I attended Zumba class with my wife. I'm, I'm, tr- I'm ready to turn this corner, all right? It was a husbandly thing to do. Uh, was it a manly thing to, thing to do, though? That's that's really the debate. That's the question. We're, how many guys were at this class with zero, you? Zero. Let's get that right <laughs> out of – let's get that thing right out of the way before we even begin. It's not – It's repeat, it's not what men do. Zero point zero. So I raised the testosterone flag in there. I tried to keep up. There's a lot of hip swiveling. There's a lot of footwork involved. But if it gets me down to my peak fighting weight to make this thing happen, if it gets me my washed 40-year-old self into the prime shape it needs to be to dance around Brandon Wise and teach him a thing or two about the sweet science, then Mikey, today was a good, it was a good step one, right? I, even though I had to take a nap as soon as I got home and be woken up by you guys. You got you to gotta get the cardio in. Start off some cardio. Lay the foundation, Campbell. We're good. I just love that he thinks there's a peak fighting weight for him to do this with me at because, good God, you're so washed. Wow. Wow. 
right, all right. Don't poke the <laughs> don't poke the wash bear hair. All right, you'll see what you'll do. Don't don't wake me up. Get me fired up. Okay, that's all I'm saying right there. Wise, what what are you at now? You, you your goal was to get down to like 225 and come in as a ripped heavyweight. Is this still the plan? But you keep saying you ask me every week what my weight's at. I you're not telling me where you're at. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah, you're probably going the wrong direction. No, I'm, I'm hovering around 222. If I get down to 215, we'll be we'll be ready. We'll be ready. You know, I'm so, yeah. probably I'm probably around like 244 still. I'm still maintaining right now. Well, I think I got to drop about 10 and then put back on another 10 of muscle. So we'll see. I'll be ready though. Believe that. Believe that. All right. <laughs> Who's ref? You- Mike, are you still refing this affair? 100. percent And the EPO is in the mail. Wow. Wow. Yes, yes. All, all you boxing fans out there, if there's any uh, PEDs left, probably not because <laughs> Big Baby Miller has done them all ahead of that Anthony Joshua fight. Good golly. That's one. Wow. I've never seen a fat guy go after so many things at one time. It was like it failed one. Dread, it failed, no, he failed a third. Yeah. EPO. Good God. Wow. All right. Wait, so does that mean TJ's going to get hit with like everything, too? Maybe they were working with the same guy. So it's a good question. That is that is definitely a good question. Man, the t- that fall of TJ was hard. I don't I haven't even accepted that it happened yet, but it did, man. That guy took a hard fall. Wow. Well, hey, listeners out there. Hey, listeners to the State of Combat on CBS Sports. You know what I want you to do if you like this show, right? It's go out there and give it a five-star review and spread that word. But I got another message for you. Do you miss what I miss when sports networks covered the news and highlights without the yelling and fake debates i do if you need that in your life if you want that throwback feeling why don't you head out there and watch cbs sports hq you want to know much that cost it's free it's our 24-hour sports network that's built for fans just like you and your boy bc you're gonna find tons of highlights analysis instant game reactions everything that matters to you about the game heck you can see me getting all kinds of fired up there previewing you the big fights but telling you why they matter no extra crap all right no diving into politics social issues or off the field topics like on other sports networks if you like listening to me on this pod you'll love me on cbs sports hq so check it out this week CBS Sports HQ is headed to Nashville for the NFL Draft. For all three days, HQ will be in the Music City with extensive draft coverage and even a few surprises. We'll have our full NFL crew providing analysis grades and fantasy implications for every pick over all seven rounds live as they get announced on Thursday, Friday, and all day Saturday. We're talking about the crew bros. Pete Prisco, Danny Cannell, Brady Quinn, Jason Locke, and Fora. Ryan Wilson, Bryant McFadden, Jamie Eisenberg, and more. All you guys, you know, all the all the names you know and love already on CBS Sports. Check it out on HQ. It's always on. It's always free. You don't need a subscription fee or an extensive cable package or an expensive one, at that matter. Just download the app CBS Sports on your phone, Fire TV, Roku, or Apple TV to start watching today. Tell them BC sent you. It'll be guaranteed hot fire. All right, we got the we got the business out of the way, bros. Let's get into the business of mixed martial arts, all right? I mean, we got the business of this big sparring match coming up, but uh, do you need to give me a deadline to get it to get in the shape? I mean, what what is going to be on the line here? Is this just for pride? Is this just for what men do right here? So we keep forgetting to do this part of the the the, the stakes here is that what do we put on the line? I think if you would go down this road with me, BC, that if I beat you, I get to host the show one day. Wow. One episode, 
it's my it's the Brandon Wise show with Brian Campbell in this <laughs> corner with Brandon Wise. Wow, wow, wow. Um, but I don't I don't know what I can give back to you as a reciprocal to that. Now, how do I win here? I mean, are we are we are we going for it? Are, is there is there <laughs> chaos and decisions here? I mean, are we letting the hands go, letting the the friendship stays outside the ropes? I mean, is it going to be one of these? I would say Is he good? I mean, it might, it might, it may have to come down to that, or maybe we'll have to select three trusted judges there at ringside just in case. Well, I, I believe Mike Kaiser is one of the judges for this match. I believe he threw his name into uh, the ring to judge it for you guys. Kaiser, so you have one, one of our CBS Sports colleagues down there in FTL. All right. There's one. I think, right there. uh, I think Adelaide Bird is now also in the yes. pool uh, you picked the judges from. Um, and I think maybe Mario could jump into this pool Ooh, because he's a yeah he's a, he's a big time uh, MMA fan. He, he's in the gym a lot himself. You know we'll get we'll get adolescent bird like you mentioned. The adolescent bird. Um, <laughs> I like this. I like where this is going here. All right. Well, I, what, you know, well, what do you want if you beat me? <clears throat> that's a good question. That's a good question. Um, hmm. We're gonna right. have to save. We're gonna this have to work might on be it. a plaque. I might like BC might need a plaque. We're going to have belt. to work on this, all right? There's there's a lot to do to get this get ready for this. I got to get my body in shape, we got to get the stakes in order, we got to get the personnel and the crew ready. We uh we may have to have this this may need to be filmed. At least at least have the audio, all right? At the very least, you know. What well, so that we can hear each other wheezing as we start the fight. We'll film it, only release the still photos, and then we'll sell it to Netflix. Yes, exactly, exactly. Actually, if I can get, if I can convince somebody like Mikey with good editing skills to just work around and find my best moments there, I could have a very Conor (laughs) McGregor-like tape that goes out, you know? A little Rocky montage in there. We need a venue, too. Uh, Don't you have some gym down there in Florida? (laughs) I mean, we could just go on Las Olas like Vulcan Ozdemir did and just do it like that. You don't you have access to a a boxing ring? Not a full ring. It's like a half ring at the gym. Oh, we'll so. get Dan Lambert back on the show. We'll set it up. All right, I'll yeah. be, I'll walk in with wearing one of his championship belts. I found my old headgear and hand wraps in the uh, in the garage inside the uh, the tote the other day. So now, look, I'm get I'm getting ready. All right, I'm start I'm starting it as you saw by today's Zumba appearance. I'm starting it. All right. <laughs> all right, whatever you say, buddy. Yeah. I'll believe it when I see some pictures. All right. Uh, what's going on in mixed martial arts, guys? Why are we here today? What's happening here? Uh, uh, I, the moratorium on Conor McGregor will continue. We will not be talking about this man until he decides that he is ready to fight. I don't want to talk to you about the change in his behavior on Twitter. I don't want to talk about the guy. All right. You okay with that? Yes. 100 percent. Right. We need to talk about what happened in Russia this weekend. That's what we need to talk about. UFC Fight Night St. Petersburg. Man, that's it. Like. I'm all for it as a, as an old guy on the East Coast that, you know, we're having this like 1 p.m. Eastern main card start on, on like a Saturday and I'm chilling out on my on my uh, laptop doing other things. And like, oh, this is on. Let me put it on. So I'm down with that. This just didn't feel like quality, though. You know, the bottom I, uh, third of every UFC card, this felt like the entire bottom third of every UFC card. <laughs> Yep, I was gonna, just going to say I agree with that. I was I was sitting out by the pool grilling, and I was sitting there, and I was like, wait, there's a UFC on. It's UFC Russia. That means it's probably got to be on sometime soon. Threw it on. Caught the main card. It was interesting. I liked that it was during the day. It was a nice little change up. But like you said, it was a little dull at some moments. I mean, it's weird when we don't know when, like, we as 
like hardcore fans haven't heard of what 70% of the fighters on this card. Like that's kind of weird when they're just deciding, Hey, let's go to Russia. We're going to load it with Russian fighters that most Americans probably have never seen before. And maybe they'll stumble into something. I, I don't know that that's always weird to me when they try to make one of those kind of moves. Yeah, I mean, when your most exciting part of the card is that there was a Habib backstage interview and Nurmagomedov's talking about fighting Poirier and then Dustin tweeting out that this will be a September to remember and now you're getting fired up, right? We're getting Nurmagomedov Poirier unless UFC has any kind of last-minute chicanery of, of sliding Con- Connor in those DMs because ESPN puts the pressure on them or unless Dustin gets hurt. We're getting a massive fall fight, so that's great. But in terms of what actually happened in this UFC St. Pete card, obviously we had heavyweights in the main event. Some name value there with Alistair Overeem against Alexei Olenek, but, man, it was kind of rough getting to that point, though. I don't know. I, I didn't pop for Christoph Joko's uh, uh, breakdance in you. I mean, what else, what else did you feel on this card? You know I was front and center for the women's flyweight bout, which we'll get to in a second, but outside of that, was there anything to like on this undercard-wise? Not really. I mean, there was a couple of decent knockouts, but it's like Sergey Pav- Pavlov- Pavlovich, I think that's how you say it. Like, that was cool, but I mean, there's just not a ton for me to be like, oh, that's somebody we need to keep an eye on moving forward, you know? Yeah, if a knockout This, this would have been, to, sorry, this would have been the perfect spot to me if you're UFC to put Peter Yan. Like, he's from the area. He's a big name over there. Why not give him a co-main slot in this car, on this card where you can feature him and make people go, hey, he's somebody at 145 that people should be keeping an eye on. Yeah, it's been a weird start in Russia. We, we saw that first card last year that was really underwhelming on paper. Like when we originally thought UFC going to Russia, we thought it would be Habib, right? He'd been talking about it forever. Then there was that point where he said he would block UFC for going to Russia if they didn't give him the, the a big fight ahead of 205. Uh it just seems like now, you know, getting a, some name heavyweights was fine in the main event, lower name heavyweights to some degree. I mean, over him still got the juice of the name. Problem is, I don't think he's got the juice in his body anymore at 38 to give us the kind of performances we like, although he did have a win this, this, this time around. But yeah, it was just weird at how little they sort of cared. And look, the, I always say this, these UFC foreign afternoon cards, they're not for us, meaning us American fans. They're for the local markets. We just happen to get a chance to, to, to be voyeurs and poke in and see it if we're hardcore enough. But I don't know how hardcore you have to be. I mean, if there's an undercard knockout between two Russian guys you never heard of, did it really happen? And if no one's talking about it or they can pronounce the names, did it really happen? Up to this point, no. But maybe Shamil Abdurakhimov will become the next Habib Nurmagomedov, and we'll go back one day on uh, UFC Fight Pass and uh, and watch this fight. But, you know, this week, sorry, bro. Nice knockout of Marcin Tabura. Didn't watch it, okay? Being honest with you. Take away my hardcore card. There's limits to this, all right? There's levels to this. The level I did begin watching and caring about, though, was said women's flyweight bout because it was interesting. The personalities, the storylines coming in. Roxy Modafferi, the happy warrior, the longtime veteran, against Antonina Shevchenko. Younger sister, of course, of the women's flyweight champion, Valentina. And wise man, you know, we knew Shevchenko is a good kickboxer. We know she's got certain skills. Uh, she's going to have to go back to the gym and work on a skill called uh, staying above water on the ground because you got to give Roxy credit, the veteran. She just laid on her. When it was on the feet, it was all Chev. When it was on the ground, it was gross. And a split decision win for the happy veteran who then called out Chris Cyborg as in a joke before pulling it back. Uh, yeah. Your thoughts? 
Yeah, I got nothing, man. Like that fight did not move me in any way because I know that's right up your alley, but I I immediately click the X button whenever I start to oh, see. How dare you? Roxanne Matafari. So you're telling me you don't follow Antonina on Instagram? I do not. No, I do. That's not a service I subscribe to. Um, Yeah, I just I wasn't interested in this fight at all. And we kind of knew Antonina wasn't near that kind of like above average to maybe kind of good level. She's just an average UFC fighter. I don't think we knew that. That's why I think this fight did have some intrigue. All right. What 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 gave you that indication that she might have been? She looks okay in her in her UFC debut, and you know, I've been following her on Instagram. It, it is a, a service I have, as Dwyer would say on the boxing show that you mentioned there. And you know, when she, you have the pedigree in the family of somebody who's a UFC champion and a, and a decorated veteran, and her sister, you want to see if the sibling can get on that level. Is this a Sergio Pettis right here? Is this a Dan Miller? Right. That's the thing. Is like we don't see that success level. Like Sergio might be the greatest success story we've seen with that, and that's still not like all the way there you know like they're trying to still do that in boxing with Deontay Wilder's little brother right yeah (laughs) like they're trying to make him something there they realize there's nothing there I think there is something there for Antonina but this was a step back against a real gritty veteran who's awkward on the feet and just tough and strong and on the ground just seemed to easily handle Shevchenko who's 34 years old had the decorated kickboxing career had gone thirty nine and one in kickboxing and Muay Thai. Needs needs some more work though. I don't think this is out of it. I don't think this is the end of her career. But this was a big warning sign that she's not going to get fast tracked into title contention. By the way, she wasn't going to get fast tracked anyway because her sister's the damn champion in that division. But if you follow her on Instagram like I was, it was you know it was a tough day for the Shevchenko family. Okay, that's all I got. Apparently you don't. Apparently we're on two different worlds. All right. Maybe maybe this is what we'll fight for. Maybe we'll fight for the sisters, all right? What? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Probably not. But, hey, Roxy rolls on. Get, well, you know what I don't want, though, is I don't want Montefiore ever in a title bout again. Yeah, no, thank you. I mean, she's the I definition like... of warning track power. Yeah. Yes. Yes, happy warrior. Thank you. All right, this is a great, great show so far. We're really we're really just firing <laughs> off bombs right now. Uh, why don't we just head right to that main event, though, because there really wasn't much to talk about on this card altogether. Hey, you got to give it to over him, though, at 38. Came out there, got rocked early against Alexi Olenek. It was sloppy. It was maybe even a little bit more than sloppy. But he was able to get him with the, with the, with the old school ovary Muay Thai knee to the face to sort of set up the exit. And then he was able to get the mount ground and pound to put the guy away. Here's the deal coming in though. I don't think there was really anything for him to win or lose in this fight. I think it was Hey, you have a celebrity name. We got a crap card we want to stick it to. Here's some main event money. Overeem doesn't necessarily improve. He is who he is right now. An aging name who they can call on at any point if they need a a name title contender. Because they do know in the back of their minds that Stipe did tap. So, you know, nice win. Move the chains. What do you got, Wise? So, two things. One, they do slap him on these main events. But you know how he has his contract set up with UFC? He's got like a weird deal where he gets a set number every time he's in the octagon. And I want to say it's like $200,000, which is like crazy high for yeah, a card no like bonuses, that. Yeah, he gets no bonuses, no pay-per-view points or bonuses, just like a set giant. Because look, when he came in and he fought Brock in his debut, he was it was a big deal. Let's not forget who he was at, at the time of his UFC debut before Travis Brown was taking his damn soul. Right. 
So I think that's kind of interesting given that the rest of this card, people probably made like five grand, 10 grand maybe. <laughs> and you got Overeem just making a giant sum of money. Second of all, did this not feel like a Bellator card to you? Like with just old wash names on the top just to like, hey, come here, see what we got going on kind yeah. of feel? Yeah, I mean, dude, this is this is the definition of spread too thin, watered down. Again, though, like I said, it's an afternoon Russia card, so you can't expect the world. It was, like I always like to say, it really wasn't for us. It was about building the, the UFC brand in that market. At the very least, they gave us one fight we could care about. But yeah, dude, this this is... This is uh in the in the gourmet menu of UFC. This is that stuff on the back page, like you know, like the the, the kids menu. Basically, it's like, oh well, we well we serve you fine steaks, but we know you got some Stotnos kids in your family, and you might bring them. So here's a hot dog to keep them happy. This was that hot dog, and it really wasn't even that good. And guess I what? Thought... Over, I'm gonna keep interrupting you. Overroom's got love handles too, all right? It's over, bro. It's <laughs> over. I know it's two wins in a row against guys who kind of blow, but I, like, I'm not high on the Overroom train right now. He tapped Stipe. It's been all downhill since then. Where, like, I mean, I don't know what you do with him now, but I thought that Olenek actually looked better than we could have expected him on like two and a half weeks' notice to take this fight. And I thought it was just funny because like it's become his calling card to do that Ezekiel choke. That he tried it like three different times in the first round before like Overeem was like, all right, enough of this crap. We're standing up and I'm going to fight you. (laughs) And Olenek, to his credit, like he threw a couple bombs in there where I think Overeem wasn't expecting it and he got a little rocked. Um, It's just he just has no power. Like Olenek might have might have had power back in the day, but. Being 57, 13, and whatever he is, is just like, it's so much wear and tear on his body that I just don't think he has, like, that kind of power anymore. Yeah, I'm with you on that. It, it's, man, this had, there's a lot of fights in terms of coming <laughs> in. When you had Overeem with 69 pro fights coming in and uh, nice. Olenek with, I don't know, 150 coming in. This, this was a uh, veteran matchup between decorated guys. You got some back and forth slop. I'm, I'm looking back now at, at Overeem's run with UFC, and I think you can say as a whole, it's been disappointing. Like he's filled a name for them, only got to the title level once. You know, fought well against Stipe. I mean, look, jokes are not on Stipe tapped 203. He rocked Stipe. He had Stipe hurt and almost out of there. That was certainly a mountaintop moment. That came following a four-fight win streak. But to be honest with you, because of the way he started his UFC career, which featured a stretch of just two wins and three losses, I even felt by the time he got to that Stipe fight that it was always it was already sort of like aftermarket, after the fact. He's never going to be the roided-up dude he was in Strikeforce and Dream and, of course, way back in his early prime. I know he kind of held it together because that's what you do in the UFC's heavyweight division these days. You just reinvent and you linger. But I just wish we could have seen even – I know this is – you know, USADA kind of got in the way of uh, Overeem's plans here. But I wish we could have seen 2011, 2012, 2013 Overeem at the very least in a UFC heavyweight championship title bout and not waiting until the end of 2016. I mean, the guy that destroyed Brock – that guy was that guy was had still a little bit of that freakiness left in him. The problem was those back to back heartbreaking losses, the knockouts to Giant Silva, the knockouts to Travis Brown, in which he was you know I'm sorry Bigfoot Silva, in which he was ahead you know in both of those fights and doing well, and then sort of just kind of either got into a war or got a little gassy. God, he's got stopped by Ben Rothwell too. Come on, Overeem, dude, he's been fighting for over twenty years now. Think about that. Like you're gonna have weird fights like that when you're when you've been in the ring for that many bouts at seventy now. 
70 MMA bouts. That yeah, doesn't even count the, the kickboxing he did, too. He Remember? fought everybody. You look back at that run from, like, 2000 to, to 2010. I mean, the dude fought everyone. When you have three consecutive knockout losses and the names are to, like, Big Nog and Shogun, you're like, damn, that guy fought everybody. Pride never die, man. Never. Pride never die. Never. Never. It's it's really amazing the guy's only 38 because it feels like he's been part of my MMA life for, for multiple decades, at least 25 years, it seems like. But, uh... You know, he rolls on, Brandon. I mean, look, tell me if I'm wrong. If we need a UFC title, heavyweight title bout, and somebody gets hurt at the last minute, Overeem's the B-side you call to take the shot, right? Oh, let's do DC Overeem. Hell yeah, I'll be there in a second. But outside of oh, that, no. outside of that, he's he's. this is what it is, right? You would pop for DC uh, Overeem? Under the scenario that I just laid out for you, meaning whoever DC was supposed to fight got hurt, and we've got... Two and a half weeks to make a main event. Hey, over him. Can you, are you in shape? Yeah. Yeah. I'm in shape. All right. Great. Yeah. That, that's the perfect band aid sort of fight. My point is that's the only title fight over him is going to get into at this point. Sure. I understand that. I just don't, I, I don't want to see that fight. Like even under those circumstances, I would just say scrap DC, make him the next pay-per-view or something. Like I, I just, uh, there's still I would... some intrigue in there. I mean, look, over going to be in any fight. He's a knockout threat in any fight. I was honestly going to say I want to see if Overeem – how many fights he's got left on his contract because I want to get him over to Bellator so he can fight like the Baiters of the world and the Czech Congos of the world again. Like he, That's the only organization he's really never fought for and he does have a relationship with Scott Coker from his Strike Force days. I think that would be an interesting place for him at this point being 38 and being towards the end of his career where he can go back to Bellator and try to just make something else happen with his career because I – I get what you're saying, but I just don't think he's ever going to be that elite top of the UFC heavyweight division again. That's all I'm saying. I think we have the same uh, same mindset here. I don't think he'll he'd get there unless they need him. So yeah, I mean, look, I I, I almost feel like it, there should be a there should almost be like a rule in place in MMA now. You get to a certain point where you're quasi washy with a name, but you're no longer in the real title picture. There should be a clause in your contract that you can go to Belter. It's it's South Florida. <laughs> it's the damn cocoon at the bottom of the pool. We've been over this. But, like, you know, it's sort of the, the, the frustration I've had with, with Anderson Silva's UFC matchmaking lately. You know, like, what do we what do we learn or gain from him fighting Jared Cannonier? Nothing. What did we learn when he fought Derek Brunson? Nothing. Like, it's a waste of someone's time. You put them in Bellator where they can make sloppy legend matchups. That's what we want, Brandon. That's what we deserve. I keep forgetting that he's fighting on 237 in a few weeks. Good God. Well, this is no different. Like, I know they used Overeem's name in the main event here, but, like, where's he? Like, my whole argument coming in was win or lose. Win demonstratively, lose awfully, you're still in the same spot after this because that's what veterans are. So, yeah, you keep a couple names around for the Rich Franklin side of it. Oh, well, you need a big name. Yeah, you can fight multiple divisions. Great. But outside of that, you almost need to just let these guys go. They're not going anywhere. Right. So and they the, really and they don't really serve a purpose because it's like, are you going to feed Overeem to a young up and coming heavyweight prospect? No. Eventually. Like, yeah, he'll lose. Eventually, he'll lose four in a row and he'll retire. And that's how it works. That's how the people yeah. get put to pasture. Yep. Yeah. All right. That was depressing. All right. Where are we, we going from here? All right. That wraps up UFC St. Petersburg. I mean, Olenek's oh, washed, too. It's oh, everyone's washed. I'm washed. That's why I was in Zumba today to try to get off of that train. I'm 40 years old. Come after me. 
Can we talk about uh, the other card that happened this weekend? Just because I forgot about it until last yesterday morning when I woke up to see our buddy uh, King Mo had lost again. Yeah, that's tough. That's a tough turn for the for the king. We love ourselves some Mo Lawal on this podcast. An alumni of the show is King Mo Lawal, and he went to uh, Risen. Risen. He is Risen. He's well. He's fallen. And, um, <laughs> but, dude, by the way, so this was a rematch. Can you pronounce the guy's name you fought? No, you do it. <laughs> uh, Jairi Prochazka. Uh, I knew that King Mo had knocked that dude out in 2015 in a World Grand Prix for Ryzen in Japan. I watched the highlights. Good lord, he sent that guy to hell with a right hand from the deep, dark depths. Rematch did not go his way, though, as King Mo, third round, got a little gassy. For the uh, inaugural, right? Light, risen light heavyweight title, and he gets stopped. And afterwards, sort of talking about that this could be it, that he's, it's, he's 38. He says he's got a year left of fighting. He's got a three fight losing streak when you consider the Ryan Bader knockout. William McGarry stoppage has lost four of his last five when you add in that Crow Cop PED knockout in, in Risen. Uh, I mean, this is what happens at the end of careers. We love ourselves, the great King Mo. But it, it it's it's it, it might be time. Is there any more celebrity fights we can get on the way out? You know, if you're telling me it's King Mo and Machida, and he can get a good paycheck, I'm down for it. But yeah, I mean, it's either that or like King Mo against Rashad, if we can ever get that booked. But I, yeah, I'm good. I'm good with not seeing King Mo fight again. He needs to go become his trainer slash coach role with either with ATT or with another gym because I think it's time for him to step outside of the cage. All right. Did you watch anything else on this Risen 15 card in Yokohama? Because there were a few names on here. Did you see well, that I'm... Tenshin Nasukawa? The uh, Yeah, you saw the 20-year-old kickboxing phenom that Floyd Mayweather sent to hell in that weird boxing match. Why are they having kickboxing matches on this card? I don't know. You, I, I didn't actually watch the card. I saw the highlights of it on Twitter, I think, like everybody else in America. All right. Well, um, Tension came back with a uh, knockout against a guy you never heard of. And then on the MMA side... Kiyochi Horiguchi, who really should be in the UFC, right? This is basically a UFC fight. He stops Ben Wynn in the first round, TKO, at a catch weight of 60 kilograms. So all you math nerds out there can do the do the conversion. So according to Ariel Hawani, this was the win. He wanted to get one more fight under his belt. This was, by the way, uh, Horiguchi's 12th straight win. His pl- Their plan with Bellator now is for him to rematch Darian Caldwell because he beat Caldwell at that was that a risen card too i don't remember that new year's eve card where he beat caldwell for the bellator title uh I, yeah that was uh risen 14 that was december yeah. 31st you're right so now the plan is for that fight the rematch to happen on the next that bellator card in madison square garden on june 14th so he's coming back for a bellator fight under the bellator banner he's 21 and 1 Going back to 2012, the only loss was for the UFC flyweight championship against Dimitri jo- Demetrius Johnson. It was that that uh, submission with one second to go in the fight, the armbar. Yep. That's in- that's an insane run. I mean, speaking of King Mo, King Mo, who, who trains with him with uh, Horiguchi at ATT, had been on this show forever, telling you that the only threat to J- Demetrius Johnson's 
flyweight title reign pre-Henry Cejudo was Horiguchi, if they can get him back in there. How does a guy win that much outside of the UFC? That's, I mean, a lot of that run did happen in the UFC, but, but not a, not a ton of it. I mean, there's a, there's a pocket of when he was in the UFC for about six, seven fights, but man, this guy's taking care of business all around the globe. Yeah, I mean, he does, he's somebody who deserves to get his shot again in UFC now that Demetrius is out of the picture because he would, him against, against Cejudo would be such a great fight, I think. Even it, or, or him against Benavidez. Like, I don't understand why you wouldn't go back and get him on your team if you still, if you're UFC and you keep saying, oh, now, yeah, we're still committed to the flyweight division. Like, why wouldn't you go buy him back in? It just doesn't make sense. It really doesn't. Wow. This guy's so busy. And so busy winning Horiguchi that I forgot that uh, last September he took a kickboxing fight on the Risen 13 card against aforementioned Tenshin Nasukawa and lost a three-round decision. This guy's kind of badass. Yeah, we need more of these kinds of guys, not less. Yeah, yeah. Should we pay attention to to Tenshin Nasukawa? I know we only know him from that horrific Floyd fight in which he somehow thought he was going to win, it seemed, and was, you know, crying afterwards when a guy five weight classes above him <laughs> uh, just beat his ass in, in the only sport the guy knows. But uh, not only is he an unbeaten kickboxing phenom, he's also uh, has some knockout boxing wins over some, like, legit guys. I mean, if he decides that he wants to jump jump over to, like, big business, I mean, I'm sure he's getting a lot of money from Risen, but... I would think he might want to consider jumping over to either boxing or MMA because if he's fighting at basically what a hun- what equates to 130 pounds, like there's money to be made there, you know? Bro, this dude turned pro at like 15 in terms of like Muay Thai kickboxing and is 29 and 0 in kickboxing. He's 4 and 0 in his MMA run, and he's got a couple pro boxing wins against like former IBF world champion Abnot Runrong, who is like a legitimate name. This is uh this is somebody seems seemingly legit that we should pay a little bit more attention to and that we only know through comical reasons. Yeah. I mean, it felt like the Floyd stuff was a way for him to get his name out there more than anything. Like he wasn't a name to to casual fans before and then he does the the whatever you want to call it, exhibition and yeah, that's how you get known better even though it was kind of an embarrassment for him. He signed Oh my god. So this guy <laughs> This guy, Nasukawa, signed a pro boxing contract at the age of 14 while in junior high from Taikin Promotions, which is the uh, Mr. Honda's the promoter, the, the promotion that Chocolatito, uh, the former flyweight boxing champion, had been under. Um, that's crazy. Man, these guys don't F around. I mean, I know Manny Pacquiao turned pro at 15 and has been fighting for like 25 years at this point. But like, <laughs> holy crap, dude, where was where were you at 14? You were washed pimply watching cinemax late night right no that was mikey (laughs) fantastic this is great all right uh yeah so that's what happened this weekend uh not a bad weekend of fights coming up we'll get into in a second we'll also get into the latest news cycle but before we do folks let's hear from our friends and sponsors and we're back. All right, bros. Let's get into it. The news that was over the past seven plus days. Give me something. Give me something to talk about here, Mikey. What do we got? What do we got, bro? This is my favorite. The report that Darren Till was arrested after allegedly stealing a taxi and trashing the hotel room. <laughs> this is a great story. This is fa- the, the Canary Islands, too, right? <laughs> I, re- I was reading it this morning. 
and I could not stop laughing about how crazy of a story it is. I want, I need more information on this story. I need to know what really went down. Is there video of this incident? Like I need all the details. So he basically went out for what, like a, a, a holiday, it seems an Easter little mini vacation in the Canary Islands off the coast of Africa and Spain and got lit, got fired up. I mean, look, there's a, there's a combustible mix when you mix together the, the brash bravado that these fighters need to have, likely with alcohol and drugs and partying, and then you get wacky things like this happening. But this went to, like, rock star levels. Did he assault anyone or just tore up a hotel? So it says Darren Till was one of five British citizens arrested in Spain on Thursday for causing damage to a hotel and accidentally stealing a taxi. Uh, I don't know how you accidentally steal a taxi. Yeah. So, um, you know what he did? He, he accidentally got a UFC title shot when he didn't deserve one. Cause remember he blew the weight against Thompson and then certainly didn't beat Wonder Boy, but the judges gave it to him. That's accidentally getting something you don't deserve. I mean, how, what did he, was he sitting in the passenger seat while the car was in park? The driver stepped out. He passes out, falls forward. His head hits the gas pedal and the car takes off. That's accidentally steering a taxi. I mean, does this not sound like the plot of The Hangover to you? Like, they when they accidentally steal a cop car, <laughs> and then they <laughs> this uh, accidentally trash a hotel room. Was there a tiger in the bathroom? Like, what happened here? Yeah, yeah. Open the door. There's Mike Tyson singing. That's what it is. <laughs> um, here's the thing about Darren Till. Uh, this is funny. We can laugh at it, but uh, the guy's got to start. The guy's got to figure out who he is. Who is this guy, Brandon? Is he an who average is- UFC middleweight? Is he a real welterweight title contender? Is he just we a have, name and a fake Connor? What is he? We haven't even seen him at middleweight. He's keeps he's the one who keeps saying that he's going to go to middleweight and he's not doing it. That's why him and your boy Luke Rockhold are the most annoying people when it comes to that because Rockhold had been talking for two years about going to light heavy and now he's finally going to do it at 239 this July. It's like well, bro, Rockhold will not. Okay, Rockhold had that war of words with Anthony Smith that was interesting, but Rockhold will not stop talking about that he's on the road to John Jones. All right, that's great. Call me when you get there, bud. Um he thinks he has the formula. He thinks he's the guy. He thinks not having to cut cuz I'll give him this. That cut, that weight cut to middleweight had been extensive for him. Have you I've interviewed him like directly after the weigh-in directly after the ceremonial wane and the guys sucked out. Like the guys like he's not looking healthy. Sometimes moving up in weight helps a guy, but that move from middleweight to light heavy is one of the bigger ones, arguably the biggest in the sport in terms of like, you can be a, a killer at middle and be a pretender at two Oh five, just like we're trying to say about Darren Till here. So it's going to be interesting to, would you give Luke any chance against John Jones? Any chance? I mean, to me, that's like a, plus 400 territory like that's not i'm not giving him good odds if if that's what you're asking me all right would you give him any chance against gsp gsp i don't know what i need to do you want me to beat some sense into you you don't belong here you're gonna get crushed i I would kick gsp's ass right now all right at 185 after you just told me how difficult the weight cut was at for him? All weight, at welterweight, all weights, all right? That guy's so good-looking, so charming, yes. All right, anyway, uh, no, John Johnson's knock him out and smoke his ass. Back to Darren Till. Uh, you know, this is a step back publicly. I don't really think Darren Till's ever going to become anything. I'm going to be really honest with you. He, he's young. That's the one thing he has going for him. 
So if he can surround himself with the right people coming off something that is definitely not good for your PR, if he could surround himself from the right people, get to the right gym, whether that's staying at a gym or changing up, I think he has a chance. But right now I'm leaning more in your camp, Brian, as he'll be a middle-of-the-road UFC fighter. He'll be big in England, maybe headline like another smaller show like we saw in Russia. Maybe he'll headline one of those out there. But I don't see him winning a title. I mean, his claim to fame here is that he's a really large welterweight. Yeah, but again, like I said, I want to see him at 185 before we start making our judgments on him because he's probably capped out at 170 now, and he's shown you that he probably doesn't have the full arsenal you need to be the star at 170. So I want to see what that kind of guy looks like in another weight class because, again, weight class changes can make differences for a lot of fighters. and. And it just changes your camp. It changes your mindset. I just want to see how he looks because if he can show me something at 185, then we might be having a different story. Like he might be, a, he might be a top seven guy at middleweight right now. There's not a whole lot at middleweight. I think we just figured out what we need to do. Luke Rockhold against Darren Till at middleweight. <laughs> sure, I, I I would watch that. Yes. All right. All right. Thank you. Great. What else we got in the news here this week, Mike? All right. All right. Um, we'll skip over Connor because, you know, been talking about that. We had Angela Matt Magana. 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 She actually got out of her coma. She went in for a surgery, ended up in a two day long coma, I believe. This was a wild story. Yeah, it was supposedly a routine surgery. Um, nothing too crazy. And then she didn't wake up. So we were getting alerts from her um, from her team through her Twitter and stuff. And then it came out that she had woken up. She even left us a little video on Twitter to just let let us know how she's feeling and everything. So that was a good story to hear. Yeah, I mean, look, when I hear Angela Magana, I think of uh, Cyborg uh, breaking, busting open her lip on the streets there uh, for that Twitter beef. Remember at that U- UFC at that uh, that getaway weekend there at the PI? Yep, that's who she is. Yep. Why speak on her as a fighter? This was a rough situation for her at thirty-five, but uh, it's it's she doesn't move me as a fighter, is what I'm saying. No, I mean she's she's just an average like strawweight flyweight right now. Like she's never been somebody who gets like the big recognition or anything. She's one of the people that fills out a card for you because you need a spot and you need some time in there. Like she's never gotten close i don't even think to sniffing title opportunities with ufc i mean good god she's lost six fights in a row (laughs) i mean that's terrifying um so yeah i mean it's that's sad and then on top of that being coupled with going into cert like a routine surgery and then going into a coma because of it that that just scares me that's the kind of stuff that makes you not want to ever go to a doctor yeah, she's had a uh, a pretty rough upbringing as well. If you do a little bit more research and you and you check out some of the things that she's been through, uh, not great. Uh, you hope she can bounce back from this. Uh, maybe maybe it's time to walk away from the sport. Six straight defeats there. Um, Probably. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about let's talk about another weird story. Can we just stop talking there? about things that stink? We get. Is there anything happy in the news this week? All right. No, no, not really. Because this is the this is the last like weird story to talk about before we get to more fun stuff. So you remember Dan Inge or Ige, however you say his oh, name? Good Lord, this is a wacky story. <laughs> so he woke up one morning last week to somebody knocking on his door, 
and he assumed it was USADA coming to do a blood sample and do his blood test. Well, it turns out that's not who it was and that the person was supposed to be going next door to do a blood sample for his neighbor. But he still gave the person his blood. (laughs) (laughs) So here's what I don't understand. I still can't figure out. And I've read this story a few times and seen the follow ups and people clowning it to a certain degree. Uh, Was the was are the people who collected his blood? Like, everyone's like, oh, my God, you should get a blood test now. Did they inject you with something? Did they uh, are they taking your blood to go steal it and sell it? Like, was this like just mistaken identity? Like, we're actual reputable blood samplers. We're here for blood sampling purposes. We just got the wrong house. And you also are somebody who could get drug tested. So please give me your blood. Or was this like, hey, want to go get some blood from a guy and sell it and make money off of it? We'll trick him into thinking we're, we work for USADA just by walking in there. Like, is it is this nefarious or was this just like accidental and this guy Dan Ige is just like uh, in the end a dirt hole who just got, got scammed? I mean, I'd like to think that there's not people in this world who decide, hey, let's go steal somebody's blood <laughs> under and like, would you know that that's a UFC fighter's house that you're going to? Like that's the that's the thing to me is like how would you know that that guy is used to getting blood sampled like that and then just take his blood and then he doesn't even realize that it's not USADA like the problem is that's what this guy's always going to be known for now like he's a you know he's an okay young fighter trying to make his name it's sort of like in it's like in school all right I always tell my kids I got I got eleven year old twins and I always tell them like. You, you know, tell them don't give people blood. <laughs> no, I, I always go, hey, you know, did you put your deodorant on today? Did you do the little stuff? And I was like, well, yeah, I think. Well, why? But I'm always like, look, you're at an age, kids, where the kids around you can be so cruel, where you have one embarrassing thing happen, and you could get a nickname that follows you for life, right? Like, oh yeah, that's that kid that crapped his pants in third grade. You know what I mean? Like, you could like, it's just gonna follow you for life. So. You know, always have a tissue ready or you you could have a a, a bug running down or something. You just want to avoid situations where mean kids are going to label you for life. And here's the problem with these middling fighters when this happens. I don't know Dan Ige from from Adam at this point. Like, I know the name, right? But big deal. Forever, that's the illegal blood guy, right? Remember that time Felice Herrick choked that girl out? She crapped her pants in the octagon? (laughs) She's never going to live that down. Following UFC is a lot like middle school, bros. It's just the way it is. So this guy's the, this guy's the, uh, the weird blood guy for the rest of his life. I mean, what, what do you think they injected into him when they took that out? I don't want to know. Like, what if what if he accidentally got EPO'd? Like, <laughs> that's the scary part when you don't know who these people are and, or what they were going for here. Well, maybe he's setting himself up here if he's really smart. He, if he's really smart, here's two things that happen at the same time. One, he wanted to get his name out there. And he's like, look, this is this is a lot easier to pass off than somebody crapping their pants getting choked out. So the, I can, he's like, I could bounce back from this. So he uses this scenario by concocting it. So one, we talk about him on the show and we know who he is. And two, when he does use EPO ahead of the next fight, he'll just be like, bro, it's pictograms from them scavengers, them panhandlers that broke into my house and took blood from me. What are you going to do? Make John Jones stop fighting? You know, maybe we're onto something here. Yeah, that, I mean... You do now have the built-in excuse that you might have been blood-doped accidentally. <laughs> yeah. All right. What else we got, Mike? Give me something here. Something to work with here. What else happened? Jordan Burroughs? Does that, that move you at all? I like Jordan Burroughs. He... I like this idea. When is he wrestling uh, Ben Askren? It's in May. So it's they announced that 
Um, I think it's at the Garden, actually. It's like May 14th or something that Askren's finally going to go back and wrestle this guy after like years of trash talking between the two. And, and Dylan Dennis is the as the odd man out. He was trying to get Askren for the same event, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Dylan Dennis, thank God you did not get any more publicity than you didn't deserve. All right, well, so uh, Jordan Burroughs. Monday, May 6th at Madison Square Garden. All right, and, and anyone that doesn't Ask- know Jordan Burroughs, 30 years old, Olympic champion, four-time world champion, uh, two-time NCAA Division One champion at Nebraska, badass wrestler, never sort of went the route of MMA, but this whole sort of news-catching thing that he's going to wrestle Askren has sped up that cycle, and now, what, is he considering an MMA turn after this? I like the two things that he said. He said the one thing was he's going to show that the UFC fans that there's levels to this wrestling stuff. He used a different word, but he said there's levels to it. And then the other thing that he said is he wants to just basically the way he poised it is I want to have one fight and I want to let my hands go. I want to see what I have. And I like the fact that he wants to challenge himself. And I I think it'd be interesting. I think at that point he has a name in the wrestling community where you can give him a pretty high-level guy and let him fight and let him have that fight, have all the wrestling fans come over to, to watch that fight. I think his name holds some weight, and it would be very interesting to see him fight in MMA. What does he compete at? Uh, around 163, 165, so he'd basically be, what, a, a welterweight in MMA? Yeah, welter, yeah. He won gold in London in 2012. I mean, the guy's an absolute stud. I always get excited when these absolute stud wrestlers make the transition, whether you know whether it was Askren. Remember when Jared Rochalt did? It was a big deal. He kind of didn't really pan out in MMA, but... Uh, when you have but, a when you're dom when you're so friggin' dominant in one skill, it's always fun to see how a guy would adjust. Even when Gokan Saki came in, I was fired up till uh, Roundtree kind of ended those exciting plans. But uh, <laughs> it'd be interesting. Are you guys gonna pop for this wrestling match? You gonna you gonna be down for it? Me personally, I I just have a love for old school wrestling like this, where I I'll, I'll watch a match because I also. I'm not the biggest fan of Ben Askren, so I would like to see someone give him a little taste of his own medicine. Let him, wow. I'd like to see someone wrestle him and lay on top of him for a couple minutes. Wow. Brandon, you hate pro wrestling more than anyone I've ever met. Will you watch this amateur crap? I've watched a few amateur wrestling matches before. There was one, was it last year, where they were about on like the the pier of in Chicago doing an event? I thought that was pretty cool. Well, after your, uh, we finished this sparring match against me for undisclosed terms, I may have to set up a uh, amateur wrestling match between you and Mikey Mormile, who a veteran of Simsbury High, a veteran. No, thank, no, thank you. No, that thank guy you. Will take I, I'm you not down. signing up for something I know I'm losing. That I'm not guy doing will that. pin your ass, all right? Yeah, I know, because I've never wrestled before. Right, I'm just telling you what will happen. <laughs> you think you can walk around here 6'5 Southpaw? No, my the guy in my corner is going to take you down, all right? But he's the ref. Right. And he's in my corner, just so you know. Okay. Oh, so you're going to pay him off before the we'll fight. See, Got we'll, it. We'll see. Hey, I, I have very low standards. It'd be pretty <laughs> cheap to pay me off. We'll see how good Zumba is on my body. I can't feel my legs right now. All right. Yeah. All right. What else we got this week, Mike? Bring it home. Bring it to me. What do we got? So we got one other topic that I found pretty interesting that our buddy Ben Folks wrote about on MMA Junkie today. So Rich Franklin, who's getting inducted into the Hall of Fame this July – said that he doesn't think he'd be the star he was in his day during this age of fighting. Now, one, do you agree with that? 
two, what do you think that that says about where we are now in fight culture? That's interesting because Rich Franklin's, along with being a great fighter, and he was, and he was, and he proved that in two different runs, right? The one as the as the middleweight champion until Anderson Silva just twice just crapped on his soul there and uh, introduced the world to to the the Muay Thai clinch, the damn plum. And uh, the other one was being just, you know, a, a second half of his career, took fights against everybody. But the real hook on his legacy, in a lot of ways, was his clean-cut, accessible image, I think, at a time when UFC was really trying, if you if you think back, 2005, 2006, 2007, really trying to get a pay-per-view foothold. They were back on TV, finally, and they were trying to prove to you that this sport's not crazy cage fighting. We're not even boxing with all these guys who would be toiling in the streets if they weren't professionals. We have college graduates. Friggin' Chuck Liddell, I know he's got a mohawk, but he's got an accounting degree. These are regular people that you can welcome into your home. And Rich Franklin was like the perfect poster boy for that. He was a school teacher. He was this sort of just good dude next door. Real, real like cerebral, just nice guy. They needed that at that point. It worked. Remember there was that documentary that he was a big part of that, like, that's the thing I remember most about him was how meticulously he prepared and all that. And he was this school teacher, all that great stuff. But yeah, it's a different time and it's a different era that we don't, we don't need vanilla stars like that anymore, nor do those guys get over and work. Trash talk is the currency in this era. So it's spectacular spinning head kicks. Rich Franklin was a blue collar workmanlike guy who probably would have been a pretty damn good fighter in any era, but was one of the first sort of well, really well-rounded guys during a time when you didn't really have to be really, really well-rounded to still be an elite fighter. I, I kind of agree with him in a way. He's kind of screaming average gatekeeper if, if his ability set was around today. But for his time, he was very good, and he would not be the star that they used his name and face and story to be back then today no it wouldn't have been see but my only counterpoint to that would be somebody like mighty mouse because mighty mouse obviously had a lot higher skill level when he was with ufc but he didn't do any of the trash talking he didn't like push himself to like get in front of your face when he was the champion with ufc like he was just there to fight i'm here to i'm here to 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 fight and go back and play video games with my buddies online. Hey, Brandon, like, guess what happened next? The UFC traded him, traded him away, and threatened to break the guy's division and, and put it underground. So it didn't work. Is Demetrius an all-timer? Yes. Did he ever get over? No. That's why he was defending those titles on fight nights. But what about somebody like Steven Thompson? He's the Mr. Everyman. He's the Mr. Yes, sir. No, sir. Right. Talk about I have what? to ask my dad about different things, you know, and he worked for them as a B side in matchups that they needed marketing wise. He never became a champion. If he was, though, I would feel he had more personality and and potential to be sold than a Stipe did, who was, you know, who honestly is very boring and is even though he fights in an exciting style. I, I think I agree with Rich in a lot of ways and what he's saying. But let's not mistake it. Rich Franklin was a great fighter, and he was certainly great for his era. And as I always say, I beat it into the ground. The second half of his career was so much fun. Look at who he fought. It's a, He alternated wins and losses every fight, but every single fight he was fighting killers. He was fighting Vonderlei, Forrest Griffin, Chuck Liddell, Vitor Belfort, Vonderlei again, Dan Henderson, Kung Lee, 
Anderson Silva twice. Like, holy crap, dude. No, I agree with you. That's that's the thing. It's just like the way that they have structured everything with UFC now, you best fight the best. So you're not going to run into guys who aren't fighting the top-level competition if they continue to have success. It's just adding in that extra trash talking like we were talking about, like adding the Conor McGregor element to your repertoire. It's just I think it is necessary at this point just with the amount of media access that we have to these guys where you do need to have something. You need to be able to give me something. Like Jacare Souza can barely speak in English, but he does give you something when you talk to him, you know? I just think that you do need some of that element to become the quote unquote big name star now with UFC. That's fair. That's fair. Um, you know, it, Rich's style was in a lot of ways very vanilla too, and I think that's a big part of it. You know, Jacare at least has sort of that flashy threat of the submission. He crawls into the cage. He's got the cool nickname. He does the damn gator thing. He's mysterious. There's some elements there that are different than a sort of white meat Rich Franklin. <laughs> yeah. The American I fighter. I mean, it's the most, you know, it's, it's, it's as bad as your guy, Chris Wyden. Stop it. Wow. Wow. The all American. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Can we hear from your dad, too? <laughs> and everybody, thank you! And this is still my boy! Yeah, still a little washed. I'd love to see Chris Weidman against Kelvin Gastelum. I know I said it last week. That's a good-ass fight, UFC. Book it. Book the rematch. All right, thank you. Can we talk about your boy, uh, Pauli Malinaji, eating pizza during interviews while yeah. talking about fighting Artem Lobov? <laughs> That's showing you the uh, the confidence level. Right now, what, they booked that fight, right? What is the official date? I know this crosses over into MMA and boxing at the same time. So the official date, uh, June 22nd in New Hampshire. Which is one of, I think, four states where bare-knuckle fighting is legal. <laughs> um, This is such an interesting fight. It really is, guys. Like, there's elements that turn me off on it. The trash-talking element is fun. I know when I saw the faces of, as we talked about on the show, of uh, the GOAT, and uh, the uh, pick Diaz afterwards, you're just sort of like, why are we doing this? But Paul is so ridiculously confident right now. I mean, he's talking about that, they, that he's going to kill the guy, that they're going to have to bring in a body bag. Like, it's going to be an assault. I'm going to murder the guy. I don't really know what that fight's going to look like. I don't. He keeps asking people during interviews, why does everybody keep saying he's the GOAT? Is he the GOAT like G-O-A-T <laughs> or is he like a GOAT? <laughs> I mean, he's doing his job in selling this fight. I just uh... – Man, you I think don't we'll know. find out how much he's actually going to make. Do you think? Do you think Paulie's making enough to do this, or do you think Paulie, to a certain degree, because he still has the competitive fire, and just when they, you know, when the fighters are on this point where it's like, I got to retire now. What? I need someone to be mad at. I need a reason to be hitting that heavy bag. Is Paulie selling a little bit of his soul and whoring out at all in this, or do you think it's so handsomely rich that it's like can't miss it? I mean. But this is like, again, this goes back to our discussions about boxing and MMA pay is like, what do you think he made for his last boxing match in a fight? Like he probably made over a million dollars. No, uh, he did a couple of smaller ones in Europe just because he was lingering. But yeah, his last like important ones. Yeah, he was getting big time TV money. No, no question about it. So to me, it's like to make it worth it for him. He's got to be making six figures here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. More, yeah, a lot, a lot of figures. I, it's gotta, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. It, I was, I'm surprised and not surprised that we're actually here and this is happening. But uh, wow, 
Mike, gun to your head. Who's what's this fight looking like? Seriously, I'm serious here. What is it looking like? Is it is it Mikey and I both watching the fight with our hands over our eyes because it's just like what are we watching? Like is Paulie right? But I don't. Paulie doesn't have power though. Like he's not gonna just knock this dude out. Artem I doesn't think, have power either. <laughs> I think the not having power is more dangerous in these bare knuckle fights though, because if he doesn't have the power to not not knock out Lobov, we're gonna see what we saw when he fought Knight, where it's just three rounds of them just peppering each other with shots and. Both of them will leave with like 50 stitches in their face and have those <laughs> disgusting photos that they post later on in the day. I can't handle that. I think I really all I want out of watching this, it. It's almost like I want the trash talk. Like I really I think sometimes with these things, if you just give me a really good de- like a press conference debate with these between these two, it's sort of like the tease of it is going to be better than the actual, right? Like it looks great inside that bikini, but take that thing off. Oh, they're kind of they're weird. You see that guy's balls? They're weird, right? It's sort of like, just give me the tease of this. That's really what I want. It'd be great if they just showed up in the ring and had, like, UFC gloves on, and you're just like, oh, yeah, sorry, we changed up. They're still going to fight, and you still have all this great storyline. You won't see two guys face mushed into mashed potatoes now. Yeah. So are kicks allowed in this? No, but you can apparently, and if you watch some of the fights, you'll see it more, completely dirty box clinch hold somebody's head down with one arm while punching with the other um you can get pretty rough from like mma clinch standards like the ref is not going to break it up when you hug and you hook their arm and stuff like that so that's the potential of trouble for paulie in theory right what about a stockton slap yeah you can stockton slap yeah oh my god so you're saying what you're telling me is that artem might try to pull the connor move and just like slap him in front of his people kind of thing like the payback for him slapping him at that gym a couple weeks ago yeah you think connor will be there in new hampshire 100 percent. he's fiercely loyal to these dudes right 100 percent. yes he's gonna be there what about the lead up like do you think that we get another incident like we were just talking about where he gets slapped in where artem got slapped in the face by paulie like do you think that well, the all is, where of do you this go from here? continues? Where, can, can you one-up that? I mean, because like, there were well, certain elements of you knew that was happening, you knew it was coming, they both probably thought, but that did escalate into real punches. Like, Yeah, I mean, if you don't, have, you don't have Anthony Johnson there pulling everyone away, <laughs> I mean, it might be a full-blown brawl. You don't know. Oh, wow. I think, it, I think it gives us one of those events where we're like, okay, was that stage, did they know Connor was going to be there kind of thing where Connor like jumps into Pauly's face and they have like a huge argument? I feel like that's the kind of thing we're heading towards in the next month or two. Do you realize if it goes too far, meaning in the buildup, like if Connor's involved and he like him and Pauly trade punches, like that thing could go absurdly viral. Like... To the point where, like, right now, if you ask me, could this end in a Paulie Connor match? You're like, no way. You, you know, the Mayweather McGregor was a special one off. Connor had so much control over the UFC. UFC needed money so badly that calendar year. All, it was the perfect, really, if we're being honest, it was the perfect storm for something wacky like that to actually happen and actually be presented as a real fight. It would not have, I'm telling you right now, it would not happen. But if we do another one of these, Media day things and Connor comes running in through the back door and him and Paulie actually like have a melee. That'd be wild, I'm, I, dude. I'm here for it. Like, I'm here for it. I just think 
for all the smack talk that Connor and Polly have had for over the last two years now, like, please give me some kind of incident between these two. Settle it. Let us all let us all watch these two guys settle it. Well, Release the tape or just fight each other. Give it to us. Speaking of the guy we weren't supposed to talk about this episode, Connor McGregor, we are on the topic of boxing to a certain degree, so we might as well at least mention it. What the hell was that boxing match he was a part of? Dude, it was it's like a Irish amateur boxing night on Friday in in Ireland and he decided he was going to get in there with an amateur. I mean, he looked like a guy who does MMA routinely, like pulling the kind of moves that we've seen him pull all the time where he puts his hands behind his back and he's like trying to clown the kid a little bit. It's just it was weird. I thought like it was all on a Snapchat too. Like, was it weirder what, than uh, CM Punk entering that uh, local jujitsu tournament and finishing third out of three? Man, see, like I kind of agree. That's one of those weird things where it's like I can see both sides where people are clowning him, but I also can see like, hey, he's still trying to like do stuff and and get into the scene, like into the game where he's trying at least. You know, like you can't fault the dude for trying. It's see, just. When it comes out that you finished third out of three, that's just kind of sad. Yeah, it seems like he's just he's just trying to challenge himself, which is it's interesting. I mean, you guys are about to both challenge each other. <laughs> yeah, that's what men do. Sometimes you just got to get in there. And if anyone out there, for all our cracks and jokes, believe that there's a chance that I'm, you know, not going to take this, like John Fury, I will never jack. I'll never fuck. I won't jack. I'll be there till I can't breathe. We are. This fight will happen. It will happen. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, yeah, so uh, I don't know. I don't know what. There's so many ways this poly crap could get really bad. I hope that it stays fun and fresh and school. the fun side of schoolyard fighting. Or like, oh, my God, that guy against that guy. Oh, crap. Like, I hope, I hope it stays on that side of the line because it could get gross quick. All right. What else we got in the news this week? Hit me with it. Not much more news. I think it's time for us to get to our weekend preview stuff. Don't you dare look past something that happened. Anything else? Anything else? Anything good? What did I look past that happened? Ray Borg vowing to leave MMA if he misses weight again? That's a pretty bold statement. Yeah. Hey, let's get into the weekend preview. You're right. All right. (laughs) This weekend, we got a UFC fight night card in Brandon's backyard. Finally, guys. Finally. This man who lives in Fort Lauderdale. Is that what we're calling this? Where do I live? Yeah, you live in Fort Lauderdale, right? That'd be correct to say? Sure, yeah. The greater Fort Lauderdale area. He lives in greater FTL, and he's been, as long as I've known him, saying, come on, UFC, come to my backyard, come to Miami, come to Tampa, come to Orlando, come anywhere in this area, come to the damn swamp, give me a reason to watch fights outside of the that backyard that produced Kimbo Slice and Jorge Masvidal. I'm sure you can watch that. I'm sure there's a field somewhere in greater Miami with that with strings tapering it off where you can watch people throw hands, right? Yes. Dog that is a P Ryan. P Ryan, baby. P Ryan. Okay. P- that's a section of Miami. P Ryan. It's West. It's Southwest Miami. Is that yeah. where Luther Campbell came from? Uncle Luke. That is not where Luther Campbell came from. Yeah. Your knowledge of Florida is so poor. So South Florida is pretty poor. I'll give you that. All right. Uh, so what we have instead is not the main event we wanted, which is Costa Romero. Right. Remember that? 
Remember Costa Romero? <sighs> Are you kidding me, bro? And then right. it turned into Jockaway Romero, too, which I was still popping. Brandon on a 1 to 10 level of disappointment with 1 being, yeah, I'm not, whatever, and 10 being, oh, my God, I can't believe this. How unhappy are you that this Saturday's main event, when you will be there in Sunrise, Florida at the BB&T Center? What the hell is Sunrise, Florida? Is that Miami? No, it is not Miami. God, again, we're going to – do I need to give you a map of what South Florida looks like? What is like? Sunrise? I've never heard of this. Is this a thing? That's the, that's the city just north of Fort Lauderdale. That's his actual it's, city. It's the name of a city, yes. I thought that it's, was Boca. No. Oh, my God. So Sunrise is west of the beaches and everything. It's next to the Everglades. It's where the Panthers hockey – the hockey team plays. It's the only place that they could get an arena and get the space after they left the Miami arena back in the day. So – What, did they, they tore up the Miami road? What, did Darren Till throw a TV through the window? What happened? <laughs> the Miami arena became a – bad place for teams to play it was falling apart it was just bad so the heat got their own arena on the beach on bayside and the panthers moved north and west to broward county all right apparently there's a city called sunrise florida the main event jacare souza against late replacement jack hermanson brandon your thoughts the joker your thoughts for this to be the first card in south florida in 16 years and to have that kind of like possibility of a main event sit there for like two weeks where like, dude, we might actually finally get Costa Romero. This is like as good as it could get down here in terms of like getting a non-pay-per-view title, like a non-pay-per-view non-title fight in this area with a guy that's from my, like lives in Miami, lives it, loves this country, like loves this area. Like, and then pneumonia comes in, kills him out, knocks him out of the card. Costa's hurt or doing something else, and they couldn't get anybody else in this spot to take on against Jacare except for a late replacement who won, what was it, three weeks ago or four weeks ago? Yeah. I mean, Jack Hermans is on a decent run in terms of the only loss being to Tiago Santos, and he's on a good sort of, you know, seven in one run, but this is not moving me for a main event, and you're going to be there. You're going to be enjoying this. You're going to be sucking this down. Are you fired up at all? I mean, I'm fired up for the rest of the card. I just, I'm, I mean, it's one of those where it's like, I'm going to stay for it because obviously I'd like to see what happens and it's a main event, but like, man, this is going to be a wrestling match. Like these two dudes are not going to want to stand and strike with each other. They're both wrestling based guys. It's not a big, big mover for me. All right. There's just, yeah. Jacare is 39 after the way he rallied to knock out Chris Weidman at UFC 230 last November and get me a Henan Brow t-shirt from Brandon in our great t-shirt uh, contest. Um, fantastic victory. People were screaming title shot. And, you know, even when they asked Dana White after 236 about the idea of John Jones trash talk leading toward an Adesanya fight, Dana's response was Jacare is going to kill me if he gets a win coming up and I don't give him a title shot. This division's crowded, but it's it's starting to make its way, meaning that we know we have this super fight coming up of Adesanya Whitaker, champ versus interim champ. But Brandon, does a Jacare win here? 100% put him in, in that on-deck circle, and should it for a middleweight title shot? Well, one, I think it does because that's what Jacare keeps telling us, and I think Dana said that at that mega press conference two weeks ago or last week, that it, it, he will be in that talk with a win over Hermanson 
Does should he? Probably not. I think that there's enough people now at, at 185 that are probably more deserving because he's like we've talked about before with him. To me, he's got that warning track power where he just he he can get to that peak, he can get into that number one contender spot, but he always falls off very quickly once he gets to that spot. You know, it's he doesn't have staying power at the top. He can get you into one of those conversations, but it's always like he falls apart right when he gets to that peak. So I don't think he should get a title shot with a win here, especially against a late late replacement guy like Hermanson, who, like you said, he's on a great run, but he's also number 10 in whatever, whatever you think of their ranking system at this point. I just don't think this to me will will show you either way that he's ready for a title shot. Yeah, you you, you nailed it right there. And and really, it's just bad luck for Jacare. I mean, he had entered UFC so hot on that win streak. He brought an eight-fight win streak into the Yoel Romero fight four years ago. And, and, you know, it sucks that he had the split decision loss. That was was not the best fight. It was – it could have gone either way. But give him credit. Comes back, destroys Belfort, submits Tim Bosch, and then he gets the Whitaker fight, number one contender, and and he loses it. So I'm not sitting here like we – like. UFC owes Jacare something. I mean, he's two and two in his last four and right. split decision loss to Gastelum. And, and it sort of is what it is. I, I He probably will get it because what UFC seems to like to do is, is we don't do easy fights here. We don't do get well, stay busy. But if you're a champion and you're coming off a hellacious fight, sometimes you'll get an old guy at least to sort of move the chains, right? Yeah. I mean, Bisping got Dan Hendo that time when he sort of. Didn't really. That was ridiculous. But yeah. Wow. All right. Uh, so when you match up the styles, yes, this main event has the potential to not necessarily deliver. It depends to me if Jacare at 39 is like, I'm getting that title shot no matter what. I rallied to beat Weidman in a hellacious fight. I am going all out in training and treating Jack Hermanson like he's prime Luke Rockhold here. And I am going for it. If he does, I think he's he can win this dominantly branded wise but if he doesn't you could see kind of a kind of a fight he'll have to fight for it'll be a little bit boring and he'll just kind of claim one of those decisions where he moves the chains either way it's going to it's not going to be the best thing for you yeah i think that it's one of those fights where he could either one just not think hermanson is that strong of an opponent and just kind of like sleepwalk through it assuming he's going to get a decision win no matter what and then hermanson ends up just surprising him and getting in one of those chokes that he's been working on in the last few fights that he's had. So I think you're right. I think that Jacare needs to go for it and he needs to go and try to like impress people with a win here because that's to me, that's the only way that you're going to get your name in that title conversation and make people excited to get you in that title conversation, you know, because like you said, Adesanya and Whitaker is going to be booked later this year. So if, even if he wins this fight, his best chances at getting another t- a title fight wouldn't be till like November, maybe December, if that. So I don't even know what his thought process is here, because even if he wins this fight, because they were asking him to delay this, like to not take a fight on short notice so that he could get a, a true number one contender fight. And he didn't want to. He wanted to fight on this card and fight in this spot. So. I wonder if he actually thinks that he's getting that title shot, even though he keeps saying it, because that title shot might not come for another eight or nine months. What what if Whitaker Adesanya, Adesanya wins? You're, would you let him jump Yoel Romero to get that next title shot? Like, 
Romero's been that guy for the past two years. He just can't can't beat Whitaker. So would you let him jump Romero if that situation played out? I don't think you do because you would want to let everyone see Adesanya versus Romero. I don't know. It's tough for him. He's been kind of stuck in some weird positions, and this is another one where he needs to come out and I think he needs to come out, show some dominant striking, and then take him down and submit him and have basically a perfect fight if he wants to get into that position of number one contender. I think that that what Mikey said is true, but I also think that he probably, even if if he wins this fight close, he should still probably jump Romero in the rankings just because he's been more active more recently than Romero at this point. I feel like point. he's headed into a fight with a rematch with Romero, <laughs> like win or lose at this point, you know? It, yeah. It's, Especially if Adesanya needs a little bit more time and they sort of put that off for a little bit. We'll see where that goes. Very interesting. I'll give him this. This is not a great card. You nailed it. There are names, though. There's a potential, you know, there, there are some, there are, even going all the way down to the opening fight, there's some things worth watching on this card. No question about it. Greg Hardy in the co-main is a story. Love him or hate him. Good Lord, he got DQ'd for kneeing that guy right in the damn face last time in that ESPN close-up. Uh, this fight, by the way, is a uh, ESPN. Wow, this is this is an ESPN card? So last week, we found out that they moved this from ESPN to ESPN+. Plus. They didn't really make a public announcement about it, but they did make the decision after they announced Hermanson as the late replacement that this is going to be on plus, not on big ESPN, even though it was supposed to be. All right. Well, UFC has seemingly set up Greg Hardy to win here. He's going to be facing 36-year-old Russian Dmitry Smolyakov, who had two UFC fights, both of them stoppage losses to Luis Henrique and Cyril Asker, then seemingly left the promotion, fought earlier this year in a- in Russia at AC Asian Challenge, got a win. Now his carcass is brought back. Um, here's what we need from Greg Hardy in this fight. Don't get disqualified. Don't get arrested. Don't knee anybody in the face. Win so this can become something, whether that's a good story in the end, whether that's a just get him to the point where we can serve him up to get sent to hell and people that don't like him can be happy. Either way. I don't like this co-main billing, though, at all. As much as I didn't like it the first time around, Brandon. Maybe I get it the first time around because it was ESPN. You're trying to grab NFL fans. But the dude just came off a really bad loss. In any way you look at it, it's a really bad loss. How the heck do you justify a co-main spot here? I mean, this just goes back to, again, what we, we've, we've been talking about with does ESPN put pressure on UFC to put some names into these main events and co-main events where he does not deserve to be the co-main event this week. There's other fights on this card that I think deserve it. Like, I mean, just Alex Oliveira and Mike Perry could serve as a co-main event any day of the week. Young Cotabella against Glover Teixeira could be a co-main event. John Lineker, Corey Sandhagen, like all of those could be co-main event, but they're giving Hardy the chance again to be something and i don't think he deserves it you don't think he deserves it but espn wants him to be something and until they until he proves them wrong that he isn't they're going to keep giving him these opportunities i think because he does have some name value and he's going to get some people interested that wouldn't otherwise be interested in this fight for one reason or another to watch so 
that's why we're going to keep seeing this. It is. It's just, <laughs> it's a, it's almost getting CM Punk level territory. He can sort of erase that by, by getting a, you know, knockout win, showing you more skills, like you mentioned, showing you that there's even a re, you know, a small chance he belongs here. But like I said, hope for his sake that this turns out to be an actual fight and that he gets the best chance to show himself to move that next level because he needs experience. He needs a lot more fights like this to keep getting better. Good Lord, a co-main event, though. But you mentioned it. This is the one for potential to be fight of the night, the one that's going to make you feel like it was worth it for you, Brandon, to find Sunrise Florida on a map and head over to that damn arena. Is this welterweight bout between Alex Cowboy Oliveira and Mike Perry? Good Lord, they're going to brawl. They're going to bring it. It's going to be, God, God, smells so good. It is a beautiful aroma that arouses me. This is going to be hot friggin' fire. I'm so excited. There's going to be so many elbows in between in the, with these two, too. Oh, man. Like, there's going to be so much blood on that canvas by the end of the night, I think, that they might have to change it out before the main event. Remember for a hot second we thought Mike Perry was like a sneaky title contender? Remember those days? Oh, my Lord. And then he lost in Orlando when I was there to some guy that you'd never heard of before. Max, that actually Max Payne fought. Griffin? Yeah, Max Payne Griffin, who fought two weeks ago at 236. Um, this is an interesting fight. You know, Perry's got a bunch of losses lately packaged around that one victory. Of course, the split decision with Felder where Felder had broken his arm and we started to go, well, you know, maybe this guy is somebody. He's, he's, a, he's a player. He's a personality. But the, some of those losses, including the way that Cowboy handled him, really has me questioning it here. And now he's getting thrown into into hellfire against Alex Oliveira, who always brings a fight, always has a fight of the year waiting to happen. This is going to be fun. And, man, you mentioned Glover Teixeira on this card. Remember that guy? Can he win this yeah. fight? Can he win this fight against the 25-year-old? How do you pronounce this? Young Kuntabella. Very nice. Very nice job. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Glover's yeah, nice, I mean, I, I think Glover is, like, kind of at that washed point, too, where it's like, if you don't win this fight, it's going to be scary. Because I remember his last fight, uh, I don't remember who it was against, but that pay-per-view we all picked against him because we're like, dude, he can't stay on the deep end of this pool anymore. Like, how are you going to do this? Carl Roberson, that's who it was. Yeah, in January, we were like, dude, there's no way he can do this. And then he just goes out there. He almost got stopped at the start of that fight, but then pulled that that tri- arm triangle choke out of nowhere to finish it off. So I hope for his sake he can still survive something against these younger guys. But I think Yon is probably going to give him more than he can handle here. Yeah, that, that's the perfect way to say it here. Glover's definitely in that alternating wins and losses period of his career, which usually is the last step before three straight losses and you're out of here. But let's see at 39 if he can still do it. I love this John Lineker fight here. Lineker, dude, you really look at that, man. Of course he had that loss to TJ, and we don't know what kind of EPO, EPO was in TJ's blood, but, but Dillashaw looked sensational that night when he just danced circles around him. But Lineker, that's his only loss going back five years. He's about eight and one during that stretch. Still a sneaky, always going to be a sneaky title contender at Bantamweight with that power. You got to feel like he's one more win away from getting right up to the top of that picture. Yeah, and these two were supposed to fight a little while ago, too. And I think Lineker got hurt. But I will always have a place in my heart for Hands of Stone because there was a while ago where Zabit, uh, Magomed Sharapov was looking for a fight and he was asking anybody and John Lineker, little John Lineker was like, I will fight you. I don't care. And then Zabit replied that the UFC said you're too small. Like, Can you imagine what that fight even looks like? Like he's five, seven and Zabit's six, four. 
That would have been amazing. That's fantastic. And Corey Sanhagen, 3-0 and in the UFC. This should be a good one. Uh, Andre Olovsky's, uh body has washed ashore. He'll he'll find his way onto this card <laughs> against Augusto Sakai. Uh, you got any thoughts out here on the uh, former heavyweight champion? He's 40. He, him and I are both 40, and we're both washed. So that's that's really that's really what we got going on here. Dude, look at the names as you scroll down the rest of this card, and just tell me how much ocean water is in these bodies right now. Don't call Andre her Arlovsky. Don't call her washed, is she? I mean, she's pretty close. She's a former champion as well, and she's coming off those two hard losses: one to Gadelha, one to Tatiana Suarez. Jim Miller, who Yeesh. has lost what, like five in a row now. And Court McGee. Good Lord. Court McGee is opening this card. <laughs> Holy crap. And he's only 34. I don't even know how that's possible. The guy wants to beat Bobby Knuckles at welterweight. <sighs> I mean, I'm going to be so excited just because this is going to be like 2009 UFC, like starting off this card. But we got the Angela man. Hill rolling back on this card, despite a lot of losses in a short period of time. Uh, yeah, is this the end for Jim Miller? I know we've been saying that for some. I thought he retired like three times in the last four years, but um, no, nah, he, he he had a four loss win, four loss streak, then got that submission win over Alex White to keep his career going, and then got submitted by Charles Oliveira. You could be seeing the end with a loss here, so that's something to watch there. Jim Miller's given us a lot of heart, soul, and blood along the way. Um, Brandon, you've been invited though to a uh, nice press event in the FTL area here, in, uh, involving many UFC women on a boat. There's hair care products. There's champagne. You gonna go to that, bro? I am not. I'm. Come on, they offered to. you Carla Esparza interviews. Uh, uh, did I mention Rachel, champagne and a boat? Rachel Ostevich too. I, to me, that was one of the weirdest promotions I think I've ever heard before. Yeah. All right. <laughs> hey, uh, this weekend, though, we've got another card as well. It's Bellator 220. Look, we haven't heard from Bellator in a while in terms of a card that mattered. I, I think going back to that MVP uh, fight against uh, against Semtex that was you know well built up that we were fired up for as part of the welterweight Grand Prix, and that fight really, really laid an egg. And I think the whole card and the fact that they did – the two nights in a row thing. They're not doing the two nights in a row thing here, which I think is smart because that's really watering down their own product. When they show up in a city, we're going to put back-to-back cards on two nights in a row. It's not moving me. It's not getting it done. This 220 card's got names on it, though. There's, this is this is a good one. Headlined by a welterweight championship fight. Weird thing, of course, is that this is a welterweight Grand Prix semifinal bout. That's also for the damn title because Rory McDonald fresh off that stoppage loss to Gegard Musasi for the middleweight title is taking on the ageless boring wonder John Fitch. Yeah, interesting stuff here. A lot of mini storylines from the idea of like could John Fitch be the Bell- Bellator welterweight champion in the midst of this all-killer tournament to is Rory still the same guy to three why is the damn title being contended for in the middle of a tournament? Brandon, your thoughts. Yeah, this goes back to just Bellator doing really, really weird business. And I know that Rory is the one who actually asked for this to be the case. Like he wanted to put his belt on the line in every fight because he feels like that's the way a champion's supposed to do it. But this is like one of those weird things where they let me or you book the card where it's like the champion is part of the tournament instead of being the end of the tournament. (laughs) So I think that it's cool because I like the idea of the champion competing for his own title no matter what. But at the same time, it's like, do you really want John Fitch to possibly be the champion after a quarterfinal matchup? (laughs) Like when (laughs) the end game here is to crown a new champion, you know, like that to me, that's just really odd. It also 
because of McDonald's entry into this tournament, it's made all tournament bouts five rounds to make it fair for everybody. And I'm, I haven't been on board with that. I think the setup should have been three rounds for every fight, and the champion, the tournament final, was five rounds. I think you even couldn't put an asterisk in there and said, well, any bouts involving the champion is five rounds, but the rest are three. Like, why does MVP Semtex need to be five rounds? And in the end, it turned out to be a negative, right? It turned out to be where guys were protecting their stamina and not engaging. If that had been a three-round fight, we could have saw a little bit more urgency and maybe a potential war. Now we have the potential to get five rounds with 41-year-old John Fitch trying to lay and pray all over your ass, Rory McDonald. We'll find <laughs> out. One thing you got to give Fitch credit for, right? We haven't seen him in the UFC since 2013 when they seemingly kicked him out the door. We'd seen him. Uh, did he ever make the title? Yeah, he did get that one title shot in 2008 against George St. Pierre. He's he's lingered, man. Since then, from with the combination of Bellator and World Series of Fighting, he's something like 7-2 and two since then. He's on a five-fight win streak. He won a decision against Paul Daly. He beat old-ass Jake Shields to defend the World Series of Fighting Welterweight title three years ago. You guys giving him any chance in this fight? Because I'm not at all. I don't care if Rory lost to Robbie Lawler in a rematch tomorrow and his face fell off. He's still beating John Fitch the next day. Did you see what uh, Faraz Zahabi said about John Fitch? He came out and was saying that his resurgence is due to steroids. And he came out in a clip that was published um, by Dazen. The Zone. Zone. Um, Did you really drop an actual misinterpreted Dazen right there? Like, that's like so last year, Mike. Come on. That was bad by me. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, you just, I guess in the clip, outright accuses Fitch of using steroids to fuel his recent resurgence. Wow. Well, his resurgence hasn't, like, necessarily been fun. It's still John Fitch doing John Fitch things. It's just him doing it into his early 40s. And by the way, this card will take place exclusively on DAZN or DAZN, as as Mike mentioned. And it's emanating, of course, from the home of uh, Strike Force and Scott Coker, the SAP Center in San Jose. Brandon, um, we're going to find out if Rory can wrestle on this level. We're going to find out if that loss took his fighting soul against Gegard, but he's a competitor, man. He's not going to lose to John Fitch. No, I don't think so. I, To me, the the question here is, does how many times can Fitch even get him to the ground? Because I feel like Rory has shown before that he can wrestle a little bit and that he's good at takedown defense and scrambling and getting out of those situations. So to me, it's like, does, Ge- does Gegard... Does Fitch even get him down twice? Because I think Rory's going to be able to keep this on the feet and he might just knock him out clean in the first or second. That would be the hope anyway, because good God, do I not need five rounds of this being a a lay and pray? I mean, that'd be the hope for Bellator. It'd be the hope for all the fans coming in. It'd be everyone's hope. I got some fears about Rory, though, and and, and I expressed them after the Gegard loss, but the guy's only 29. I mean, this guy was supposed to be the next GSP. I know he's hit some speed bumps. I know he's given us, I mean, that title loss to Robbie Lawler. Good Lord, the fight of the year in 2015 was like, pour out, you know, pour out 20% of what's left, what could be left for your career in that one night. I mean, that, that, that could be legit. I mean, it's one of those fights. But if you look at the timing of some of his losses that sort of stopped him when it seemed like he was a, you know, a, a freight train ready to go to the top, are we going to see his career end without him ever finding out how great he can be? I still have that same fear, Brandon. I mean, but if he gets through this tournament and he beats like top level competition throughout, then don't you think that that's showing you like, hey, he is pretty elite. He is on that elite level. 
mean, I mean he's gonna fight. He's gonna face the Gracie brother, right, or the Gracie son, if he wins this fight. Neiman Gracie, the unbeaten one. He, he's not gonna go through the. He's not gonna go through the wars that Douglas Lima is. But I mean, he's still gonna show you a lot if he ends up coming out on top in this tournament. Yeah, I incorrectly called this a semifinal bout. This is a quarterfinal bout. Neiman Gracie's still out there. Doug Lima's still out there. I mean, it's not like Rory hasn't accomplished a lot, right? I mean, he's got wins over, like, BJ Penn, Damian Maya, Tyron Woodley, goes to Bellator, wins the championship in a thriller against Lima. But when you look at the toll taken in that Robbie Lawler fight, the Doug Lima five-round win in which it was his body got battered, and now that Gegard knockout loss, man. I just hope that it's not entering into Washville too early. I hope there's still an absolute prime peak. Maybe it'll be in this tournament going through those guys we mentioned. So it's MVP and Lima on the other side of the bracket. Yep. That's that's a hell of a matchup, man. Damn. All right. Yep. Uh, you say Rory stops John Fitch. For the sake of entertainment, I hope so. I mean, the thing is, Fitch has been durable. I really feel like we're setting up for a five-round decision win for Rory, where at the end of it, we're just sort of like, damn, move the chains, end this crap. Thank you. All right, co-main event, uh, the the wild, the the rising star, the women's flyweight champion for Bellator, Alima Leigh McFarlane, taking on Veda Ortega, and she does not have a Wikipedia page, <laughs> and her name is not making me Google her, but Alima Leigh has shown us that she is must-see TV. They've done a really strong job marketing her, especially in her native Hawaii. You feeling anything? Any movement here? I mean, I'm always interested with her fights now because, like you said, they've done a great job marketing her, and she's just shown you that she might be a star in the making for them. So I will be watching just to see what happens here. I hope that they do give her like a Connor kind of build, and I hope that she's able to execute and continue to win and continue to move forward, and they try to find her more competition at flyweight because that seems to be a problem with both organizations, UFC and Bellator, is finding competitive uh, women's flyweights. That's a good point. She's 9-0. and Man, she's exciting. She's got charisma. I like the push that they're giving her. They realize, look, we don't have a ton of women. We don't have a ton of women's divisions either. We've been rolling out some crap female fights with bringing Heather Hardy over from boxing, bringing the other Anna Hulatan over from boxing. So this is an actual seemingly fun fighter that we can get behind. Who's the other chick that we need to get behind, too? What do you mean? No, or Bellator? Not, not that way. Not that way. I'm talking about, yeah, Bellator. The, the one who made her debut. Remember she uh, cried and hugged and kissed everybody afterwards? Oh, um... Loretta? I know who you're talking about. Hold on. Was it Loretta? Keep, talk, keep talking. I, I know who you're talking Valerie about. Valerie Loretta, right? Yes, Valerie Loretta. Right. Thank you. All right, thank you. All right. Uh, also on this card, we do have names. It's a lightweight bout. Benson Henderson takes on Adam Piccolotti. Um, yeah. I'll watch. I'll watch. I'll watch. I'm just going to say the same thing. <laughs> Benson's 35. He's lost titles bouts in two divisions since coming over to Bellator. Is on a two-fight win streak, although one of those against Roger Huerta. Wow, they found that guy, right? Um, I don't know a ton about Piccolotti, though. And apparently, other do you. All right. Hey, it's been great talking <laughs> to you. Um, thank you, Bellator. It's a name worth watching. We also have a name fight when you consider former light heavyweight champion Phil Davis taking on Liam McGarry. Is this going to get you excited at all? Yes, just given what we saw Liam McGarry do to our buddy King Mo, I think that he's pretty fun and interesting to watch. And Phil Davis, for as as little interest as he typically gives us before fights, I think that that's an interesting bout for him. 
he's coming off a split decision loss to some guy you never heard of. So we'll see where that one is going. Um, we need some big fights here. Let's look at the fight calendar. What, what's on the horizon for us? We need some big fights to get us fired up. We're seeing the watered-down UFC fight night era right now. Where, and it's nothing necessarily new, but it's it's a little, little, little stretch lately. Give me something to get me fired up. What's the next hill on the horizon here? Well, UFC 237 being the same night as the next Bellator card is what's going to get you fired up because that's when we have Rose Namajunas against Jessica Andrade. Love that fight. We've also... We've also got, we mentioned it earlier, Anderson Silva against Jared Cannonier. Hate that fight. And jo- Jose Aldo against Alexander Volkanovsky. All right, so that's actually happening, right? That's a thing that is happening? They put him on the poster? That is a thing that is actually happening. And on that same night in Chicago, we just talked about it a minute ago, Douglas Lima against MVP. Which it really is Wait. a can't-miss fight, really. And there's going to be a lot of pressure on MVP to look exciting and be himself after that that egg he laid against uh semtex plus michael chandler against patricio fit uh pitbull for the lightweight title good lord that's a good night mma it's may 11th the ufc card coming from rio that's gonna be interesting all right all right that's getting me fired up and of course we're gonna have international fight week in in july dude that card is loaded is that 238 that's 239. 238 is the one with uh, in Chicago for Cejudo and Marais. All right, that card's not as deep, but you know I can get behind Shevchenko I in the co-main event. Jimmy Rivera, Peter Yan. Yeah, yeah, get me. I'm ready. I'm ready. Tatiana Suarez, Nina Ansaroff is not a bad fight either. By the way, good video. Do you watch the uh, Brendan Schaub Below the Belt web series that Showtime puts out on YouTube? Mm-hmm. He's got that food truck diary spinoff thing where he takes UFC fighters and, and eats tacos with them and talks. I, I, the Suarez yeah. interview was interesting. Yeah, he also had Gaethje on a couple weeks ago. He's been doing some pretty good interviews lately. Wow, Aljamain Pedro Munoz on that card, too. Yeah, they turned that they turned 238 into like a mini bantamweight tournament almost. Carolina against Alexa Grasso? Wow. Tayatu Ivasa against your boy Blogboy? That's not bad, bro. Yeah, I think the summer is when action is going to start picking up. We had that nice run there for a few weeks where every main event was giving us something special. I think we're hitting that little lull right now. And then once we get into like May and early June, it's going to pick back up. Yeah. By the way, before we get out of here, just so just so you know, your boy uh, Luke Rockhold says he's going to 205. You know who just said he's interested in going to 205? Weidman. Don't say Weidman. Chris Weidman, baby. <laughs> That's you can't gonna, run from him. Who's gonna? Who is it gonna end worse for at two hundred five? Weidman or Rockhold? Weidman. Rockhold yeah. at least has a bigger frame. You're damn he, right. He, he could probably. He's what six four, I believe. <laughs> yep. Uh, um, he's got a pretty big frame. If he goes, he's got goes up to two hundred five the correct way and puts on some some muscle on that frame. I would think so because Weidman's a little bit smaller than. But, dude, that's going to be bad for Weidman. Unless they fight each other. Unless Weidman fully enters the Rich Franklin portion of his career and is like, look, UFC, you know I'm not fighting for a title. Just all old names. Put me only in there with old names. I'll main event for you in Wichita. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. All right? You want to go to Long Island? Let's do it. Let's have him fight Rockhold in the rematch that we deserve and that we never got and that I have the poster for right next to me right here. All right? You and I. Just give me that. You and I could Just work give me that corners. rematch, man. You and I should work the corners for Rockhold and Weidman in that rematch, and then you and I should have the what's that? One of those fights, you know, the Bellator has after the broadcast goes off the air, then they have those like after card bouts. You know what I'm saying? Where like people get knocked the 
hell out in front of like 10 people in the crowd. And they literally, here's what they do. Here's what people don't know. When the cameras turn off at Bellator, all those swing undercard bouts that, that didn't happen beforehand, they go on after because Bellator has a tight TV window on the Paramount Network. These friggin' fights, they're probably like guys who have two pro fights, like there's a bunch of amateurs in there. These guys get knocked the hell out, like viciously. They're horribly mismatched, these fights. And then they drag the guys out there because it's already like after the time and there's like union workers there in the arena. They got to clean this place up. They just bring the next set of bodies in. It's like ridiculous. There's no announcements. They ring the damn bell and they get going. It's insane, the violence that happens after those things end. Thank you. That was my speech. By the way, I'm so damn fired up for 239 International Fight Week. Just a reminder, guys. John Jones in the main event. Nunez Holm in the co-main. Engano JDS. Rockhold at 205. Diego Sanchez, Michael Chiesa. Askren Masvidal. Like, this is going to be one of the more fun media day interviews. Like, we're going to get a lot of great sound for the show. All right? We're going to get a lot of goodies that week. Yes, sir. It's going to be a fun week plus Hall of Fame stuff. Sure, turn the show off. I'm done. That's it. That's it. I got nothing left to give. All right, follow us at State of Combat, at BrandonWise65, at your boy, B. Campbell, CBS. Mike Mormal, you got a Twitter follower. You got a handle there, too. What is it? MJMCBSI. Wow, that's a mouthful. I do follow that one, so that's the service I do have. Uh, Brandon, you got anything? Anything for the people? We out. <laughs>